Hello and welcome back to another episode. If you want to do what? A little different for you today. We've got Dr. Adam Simington on and he's a data scientist. Now, some of you may remember Adam's episode previously. Um, Adam's actually been doing a load of interviewing for different data science positions where he works. So we thought we'd jump on and Adam would give us some sort of tips and advice and things he's found whilst he's doing these interviews, why people have succeeded, why people maybe haven't succeeded in the process. Hi, Adam. Hello. Nice to see you again. Yeah, great to have you on the show, mate. We were just just having a quick chat, catch up. I think this is going to be really interesting for people that want to get into data science because you've been plugging away and interviewing loads of people where you work, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, Geolect has hired or has been hiring a lot over the past year. Um, and I think you know, Geolect is quite, quite a fun place to work. We've got quite a, like an interesting problem set that we try and solve. I guess we get a lot of candidates applying, sometimes just directly to adverts, sometimes just cold applications. Uh, and hence, yeah, I've spent in my role, now that I'm one of the leaders in the in the company, I have to spend a lot of time sifting through these CVs and interviewing good, well, people who on paper look quite good mm-hmm. and trying to make those hiring decisions. Um, and off the back of that, I've come up with <laughs> do's and don'ts, shall we say, for how <laughs> to how to get through the data science interview process, which I thought would be interesting to have a chat about. 100%. I mean, let's, for everybody listening, if they didn't hear your episode previously, let's have a really quick overview of what a data scientist actually is. A data scientist takes, is somebody who takes um, some sort of data and I guess just gains insight from it or draws insight from that data. Uh, this can be, I guess, the sort of most popular examples of this would be around the, in the area of machine learning and AI. So taking some data and using that data to make a prediction. So predict whether it is, uh, it could be location data and predicting you know, an optimal route to take. It could be taking, it could be a recommender algorithm. So like Netflix, for example, will recommend things to you based upon what you have watched in the past, things like that. Or it could be more on the data analysis side of things. So taking your huge you know, volumes of data and pulling out those like interesting little nuggets of information. So it's just anything really to do with to do with data and taking that data and finding some useful something useful for for a customer in that data. Okay, interesting. So a lot of problem solving going on. A lot of sort of I'd imagine a lot of maths involved in this. Uh, lots of lots of programming and mm-hmm. a little bit of ma- well, <laughs> I was going to say a little bit of maths. A lot of maths actually mm-hmm. um, is involved. And problem solving is key. I think one of the crucial things really is around the problem solving piece is being able to break a problem down. So you may may come across a problem that is, so at work at the moment, for example, we're working, we're trying to, I be careful what I say, actually. Mm-hmm. One example, we're, looking, we're taking AIS data, which is the data that you have, the chips broadcast, they broadcast their positions, they move around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we look for interesting anomalies within that data so um, some of these data points may be spoofed so someone may have hacked the gps to make it seem as if the ship is in another area in the world oh, than where okay. it actually is so for example you could imagine you know illegal smuggling this this would happen quite a lot uh, a vessel could be pretending that it's an anchor in in dubai or somewhere in the persian gulf and actually it is gone off to pick up some illegal cargo maybe oil from iran things like that Wow. Um, so taking this sort of data and trying to find the anomaly, the anomalous points or the fake points within that, when you really break that problem down, it is basically anomaly detection within time series data. 
So trying to find data points in a, in a time series data, data set that are fake or unusual. Then another problem that we're trying to solve is we've taken sonar data and we're trying to find uh, anomalous sound, like sound clips within that, within a larger sample. Right. Again, when you break this down, it is just anomaly detection within time series data. So you've got two very, very different problems, but when you break them down, it is a very similar um, methodology to solve that problem. Um, and I think that's a really key thing in data science, being able to cut through all that noise and find the correct tool for the problem. And what you then tend to find is that there's actually quite a small number of, of problem solving methods that can be used to you know, apply to a huge, different, huge array of different problems. Wow. I mean, I think, you know, last time you were on, I said, I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by what you guys can do with data. And it, it does blow my mind. The kind of things you can pull from these data sets it is incredible. Um, but for me, it sounds like, and you could tell me I'm wrong. It sounds like this is a job or a career that would require somebody to go to university and study some sort of, is there a, a sort of data science degree or is it a mathematics degree they need or some sort of scientific degree do you need something like that to get into this or can you i guess you can't be a school leader really can you realistically yes i would say um so this is maybe sort of leading on to the broader discussion point one of the problems i think at the moment in data science is that there are a lot of you know, boot camps and online courses designed so it was an article published back i think in around 2010 maybe 2012, that described data science as the sexiest profession of the 21st century. And off the back of that, you've got you've got a lot of it. it it's one of these posts, these blog posts or whatever that went viral. Mm. And off the back of that, it became quite a buzz, buzzword hot topic. Um, and now off the back of that, you know, lots of people are trying to get into data science. And there's quite a lot of, you know, quick fix, um, you sure. know, boot camp courses that exist online. So what you tend to find, particularly in the hiring process, is there's lots of people who've not necessarily, if some have gone to university, some haven't, but they've gone online, they've done one of these bootcamp courses, and then you know, want to get straight into data science. My personal philosophy is that these aren't good enough. You need a little bit more of a numerical background. Going, going to university is certainly one way of achieving that. So I went, I did a chemistry degree and then a sort of chemistry and physics PhD. So a very, very highly numerical STEM subject, um, mm -hmm. which sort of led into this. The other data scientists at Geolet, two of them have PhDs. Um, one guy worked worked in this area in the Royal Navy for years. Um, oh, wow. Another two graduates have started. One did um, a master's in data science. The other ones did a master in computer science. So I think, yes, if we're being realistic, I think some sort of I think you need, I think you probably do need that university degree. Um, I don't think these online courses that pop up really cut the mustard. Okay. Yeah. I know that uh, that's what I'd expect to be honest with you. When you, we talk about data science, I wouldn't expect you to be able to leave school and go straight into it and do a course online, to be honest with you from, from an outsider's perspective. Um, yeah. but that leads us nicely on to, I, I think I'm, I'm right in saying this now people with PhD, PhDs and even masters, even with those qualifications, it's incredibly difficult to get in the door somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think this sort of come. Oh, sorry, you were going to speak. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Carry on, please. So I think yes. So I've I've interviewed candidates who've got PhDs and candidates who haven't. I think having a PhD 
it will certainly open doors for you, but it will not propel you through those doors. Uh, you know, I'm not going to use any specific examples, but I've interviewed some people who on paper, sure, they have got all of the qualifications in the world. They have you know, published papers, they have written software, they've got that strong mathematical background that we would sort of, we would require and expect. Mm-hmm. However, when it comes to just, you know, just little things around you know, first impressions, how they communicate, how they how they sell themselves, how they how they hold themselves in an interview. Um, they're just it, it just it's just not good enough. I actually I think there's a lot more that you that you need to be able to actually get a job in data science than just having one of these degrees. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm gonna find this really interesting. I can already tell. Let's dig go a bit deeper on this so you've got a couple of candidates both have got phds both in the subjects you're requiring requiring what makes one better than the other what do you look at and go right i really want this person on the team so for me it usually comes down this is sort of getting into broader interview discussion i guess like for me the candidate that manages to turn the interview around so that they're interviewing me about the company is usually the one that I tend to want to hire. I don't know if that's some sort of weird reverse psychology thing, but so basically <laughs> it comes down to, you know, well presented and asks lots of engaging and insightful questions. So when I say insightful questions, I mean they're asking questions that I have to actually think about and be like, oh well, yeah, do we, you know, do we do that or how do we do that? Mm-hmm. You know, it sort of betrays their or yeah, it betrays their understanding of the area that they're going into it mm-hmm. makes them seem engaged it makes them seem like they've you know they've done their research beforehand and they've genuinely come in with you know they're they're interviewing us or whether they want to take the job i think it's an interesting psychological trick and um, that's certainly one point um as far as other things are concerned i think good first impressions are really key so in today's age like we have pretty much every interview really is going to be taking place on zoom or teams or or whatever um so this is going to sound very petty but just little things around that first impression so yes wear like if you're if you're male wear a shirt if you're a girl just wear wear a blouse or whatever just something to say that you that you know you care about this interview you're you're prepared to you put in a little bit of effort as far as where your camera is set you know sit somewhere where there's good lighting um you know blow your background and make sure your camera's on just general little you know, first impressions those little things i think go an awful long way into into really selling you i guess it just shows people have taken some thought into what they're doing exactly yeah exactly yeah exactly so what what have you actually found then over this past year how have you found the whole process of, of doing these interviews and find these data sizes what is something you think industry-wide people aren't doing enough to get in front to get in the front door i think there's two points so i think you can separate that question out into graduates versus non-graduates and so people who are going for entry-level positions versus people who've got experience already and are looking to switch into a more senior position as far as graduates are concerned i think the ones that stand up it's like at the end of the day we we all know like whenever a graduate goes into an interview we all know that they don't know that much like they aren't that experienced they don't know all of the various intricacies of industry you know they don't and they, you know they don't know what they don't know so with that in mind we're not expecting them to have amazing software development skills data science skills you know, know all of the ins and outs of 
AWS and various cloud computing platforms because that's not really taught in universities. But I think the main thing to really sell in those sort of interviews is your enthusiasm and your willingness to learn. I think that goes a really, really long way. So, you know, if we were, to, for example, one, I remember one example. In fact, we actually, we made, we hired this, this person. I think I mentioned, uh, you know, have you come across Terraform? Terraform is a sort of a software language, sort of a, um, like scripting language and um, to configure AWS uh, resources programmatically. So I asked, had she any experience with this? And she said, no, she hadn't. But then she asked me, well, how do you spell that? I made a note of it. I think that goes a really long way to sort of sell there and your enthusiasm to learn and willingness to learn, mm. um, which is a really, which is a really good thing. Um, I think another point, well, this is a broader point, so I'll maybe come back to it. As far as non-graduates are concerned, I think the main thing there is calmness and confidence in your experience goes a long way. So at the, again, at the end, similar to the point about graduates, actually, data science is a huge spectrum of skill sets and problems. You know, you could work in a, you could work in fintech, work in a bank, you know, it's one of these financial services companies and your job is to spot frauds or um, to design you know, certain algorithms. That's one problem set. You could do what we do at GLAC and be applying data science algorithms to, you know, you know finding illegal shipping or illicit shipping. You could work in a supermarket and try to, you know, optimize, you know, optimize um, supply chains and things like that. There's loads of different problem sets that are involved in this. And so if you come in from a different area, we don't expect you to know everything. In my case, we don't expect you to know everything about shipping. We don't expect you to know everything about satellite imagery. We just, all we're interested in is, you know, have you got, are you a problem solver? Like if we were to, if we were to throw you in at the deep end, would you be able to, pick it up and figure out what's going on quite quickly. I think that's really key. So just having confidence in your ability and confidence in your in your experience so far and being able to get that across and just, you know, hammer home this idea that, yeah, look, I haven't looked at this before, but if you, you know, here's how I would go about solving the problem, that sort of calmness and confidence is really, really rare and goes an awful long way. Because, you know, nobody nobody's got experience of everything. Data science is just such a big subject. Um, and then the third point is around personal projects and personal portfolios. Um, I'm so glad you brought this up because I was just about <laughs> to ask you about personal branding because we have been banging on about this on the podcast for the last 100 episodes at least. Um, and using LinkedIn, using everything available to you to create some sort of portfolio where you can show some genuine interest in said subject. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so for example, again, like another person, again, we made, we hired, made an offer to recently, um, sent the CV in, um, and as part of it, it was a PDF CV, so there were links embedded within it, clicked on a link and it took me to uh, their GitHub page, and it also took me to um, their personal website, like the, you know, they're a university graduate, so it's you know, putting little personal university projects onto GitHub. The website itself was just, you know, it's still quite a basic app, but it's still the fact that you've gone above and beyond and done this. I think really, I think it goes a huge, you know, a really, really long way. It also gives us a chance to be on the GitHub, for example, to actually go in and click around and look at your code. Yeah. Um, it will encourage you as well, I think, to sort of take a little bit of pride in this and, you know, make sure it, you know, it all, it all works. It all looks, looks nice, which is just good for open source community in general. Mm -hmm. That's maybe a bit of a side point. Um, and then as far as social media is concerned, I think LinkedIn is quite a big one. Um, I would 
I mean, usually you'll go and have a look at someone's LinkedIn profile before and um, alongside their CV and before maybe going for an interview. Uh, so just, you know, I guess, I don't really know what I would expect to see there, but, you know, just an interest in, I guess, an interest in the subject and mm-hmm. um, what, what posts are you making? What, who, you know, who are you following? That sort of thing is really mm-hmm. key. But certainly from, I think that probably applies to software development and anything techy in general, like having yeah. some sort of project online. And um, because GitHub is a good, good example because it shows one that you can that you can program and we can see the the evidence of that but git and github are you know, they're pretty widely used industry tools so you're already showing that you know how something that's used in industry works which is really important and you'd be surprised how many people don't know how that works sure i think we may have covered this when you first came on but it's a point i'd like to raise again and it's the, to deal with so you're doing this data science and you're mining and you're finding all of these points and you're pulling them out of the data, but then being able to convey that to the other people in the business that then need to be able to maybe sell that data or explain that data. You have to be able to do that. Don't you You have to be able to communicate with other people in the business that maybe do not do the data science and being able to clearly communicate is key. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably the most important one of the most important points in your career. So to maybe go back to that example that I used earlier about the you know all of these boot camps that have sprung up online, they're teaching you the algorithms, but there is just so much more to it than the algorithms. Yeah, there's you know, you're never going to get a perfect problem that you would get in the boot camp in industry. So you know there's the problem solving around that. But there's just the, the communication aspect around it. So like in an average day I'll have to sit and chat to somebody from you know, from somebody from the sales team, for example. So a particular customer wants a certain feature or they want a certain thing to be built. You know, can you have hold sit down and have a conversation with them and actually get out of them what it is specifically that's needed and also then be able to convey back the technical details around that. You know, that's going from two two people with very, very different backgrounds having a conversation about, you know, something something quite technical. So I think communication is key. But then also, you know, you could sink you could sink a significant chunk of time into into designing a model, building a piece of software, whatever it may be. And then you have to be able to present that to somebody again, who has no idea. And actually in reality, probably doesn't care about your model. You have to be able to present to them what the results are. And then the, I guess the key thing again is, then is trust. They have to then trust what you're saying is accurate. So that they're going to go and make a decision based upon that information. And to go back to the interview point, you know, that's something This maybe going back to the, you know, the first impressions and the, in general, being able to just be, you know, set a good first impression and you know, make, make people feel at ease around you. It's just a useful skill in life generally, but very, very tr- true in data science as well. And I think as well, just being able to, in an interview, just being able to sit and hold a conversation, ask questions back, be engaging. You know, if you're, if you, if you have a, if you have a question and you don't quite understand the answer, just, you'd be happy to say actually I don't understand can you you know can you rephrase that or I didn't quite understand this bit can you re-explain that things little things like that are really really important and again quite not something that I see very often whenever I interview data scientists see this is really interesting am I right in saying that the best data scientist in the world you know fantastic at coding they can pull anything out of any data set but they cannot communicate you would rather hire someone that you can teach the coding to and you can teach how to pull the data to 
but can clearly communicate that to the team, right? You'd rather them than the best analytical person in the room. Is that right? That's a difficult question, I think. So on the one hand, so I think in in smaller companies, yes, that's definitely going to be the case because, you know, in in larger companies, you you know, a lot of data scientists will sit as cogs in machines. You know, they'll have a specific task that they work on, and they only work on that thing. And then you've got people around them who do a lot of the communications. They'll go and interact with sales. They'll go and interact with with stakeholders. And all you really have to do is be able to communicate to your to your manager. And I think in that case, it's probably the communication skills are less important than just the outright data science skills. And again, to maybe go a step further, like some of the really big, there are some, there are some data scientists out there who are gen, genuine wizards. They just see the world in a completely different light. And, you know, these are people who go and work at DeepMind and develop, you know, develop models or to, models is maybe a little bit of an undersell, but develop AI to, you know, play chess or play Go mm. and beat world champions. I think in that case, just the, the raw data science is all that matters, really. Mm. When you go down to the smaller companies, um, so that's when communication really becomes key. Because, because the re- again, the reality in data science actually is that no, very, very few companies do proper hardcore data science. A lot of it is, uh, simple is the wrong word, but a lot of it is, I, I think, a little bit smaller scale than perhaps the marketing teams would admit to. And so... <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so... And so in those, I think in those cases, I think the communication skills are really important. I would never say that I would take a good communicator over someone with a lot of data science skills, but I think communication communication is definitely the cherry on top. You've got to have a bit of both, I think, in smaller companies. No, that's a great point. Very good point. So I've come along, I'm, you know, a data scientist, I've got my PhD. What kind of things can I expect in the interview? Are you going to be asking people to do tasks? I know this is going to vary across the industry, by the way, so I'm not asking you what you necessarily do at your company, but what kind of things can you expect in the interview? Am I going to be doing tasks or or what has it like? So generally speaking, it'll be a sort of standard interview format, I would imagine, in most companies. like There'll be an initial period to meet and greet, get to know each other. We'll give it up sort of a brief background on on the company, sort of sell all the cool stuff that, that Geolec does and talk about the company sort of a little bit more broadly. And then we'd like, you know, we'd like the candidate to then talk to us about you know, what their experience is and what they've done in the past, um, you know, which bits they like, which bits they don't like, you know, what what they're, what they're looking to get out of their next role. And um, those sort of quite broad questions and um, maybe a little bit around sort of the you know, basics sort of communication questions, you know, what, you know, how, what sort of company do they want to work for, you know, company culture, what part, you know, what company culture do you, do you, do you want to work in? Um, how do you like to be, you know, how, what environments do you like to work in? All of that sort of stuff, just to sort of get a rough idea about them as a person. Because at the end of the day, like we're, we're, we want to hire, we do want to hire a person, not a, a robot or a cog. You know, you want to get a sense for their personality so you can sort of see, well, actually, on the one hand, you know, would like, would they want to work for us? Because some personalities just won't, won't work in certain certain environments, I think. Um, it might be slightly controversial to say, but it's definitely it's definitely true and it's true in this industry. No, you, you need to say it because it is so true. You know, when you're working in a company, especially like a small to medium-sized company, personalities, as much as people kind of want to avoid the question, it does matter because 
you have to work with these people more than you see your family. You know, it, it's yeah. crucial to, to your business running well, I think. And I think as well, it's worth pointing out that it works both ways because you could, you don't want to go into a job that, you know, you don't like the environment. You don't like the people that you work with because you're going to end up moving on. You Eventually you'll, you'll, you'll want to move on. Yeah. So I think exactly. it works both ways and it's important to, to say that. And mm. um, so that, those are personality questions and just general experience questions um, are things that we'd like to open up with. Uh, the interview then will generally take sort of a more technical tone. So depending on the role that we're hiring for um, and indeed the projects within that role that we've sort of got in mind, we will ask some, we, we will, generically we'll ask some sort of generic data science questions and um, you know, little things like what is the difference between overfitting and underfitting? Um, can you explain bias or model bias and um, you know, present them with a, with a small problem and say, okay, so how would you go about solving this? And you know, in, that, in the latter question, how you, how would you go about solving this, this problem? I don't really care. I mean, I do a little bit, but I don't really care about the answer that they give because it's a problem they've probably never encountered before. I more care about them talking through sort of step-by-step step so I can get to understand their thought process and how they approach problems, because I think that's really telling in how they how they, they will operate as a data scientist. Um, and then I think after that, yeah, depending on the project or and the role that we're sort of hiring for, that's when we'll maybe go into the more specific questions. So, for example, if, we're, if it's a satellite imagery problem, I'll be you know, quite interested in there, in if they've got any experience or thoughts around, um, you know, neural networks would be a good example, and, um, you know, object detection using neural networks, this sort of, these sort of things. Whereas if it's more of a, I don't know, if it's more of a, if it's more focused on the sort of the maritime AIS side of things, I'll be more focused on your know, time series questions and things like that. So that's when it, the interviews get a little bit more technical. And I think the, the important thing really to stress is as long as you've got a, you know, a, a, good, a good grasp of the subject generally, those initial questions are right, you know, overfitting, underfitting, you'll be able to bat them out of the way pretty easily. And then after that, it's more around just being calm and talking through the problem. So I guess that's another point to be that I, I've actually made a note of this to mention. I think one of the things that people don't do in interviews and it's really important to do is to just say if you if you don't if you don't know the answer just say you don't know say look i don't know the answer to that but here is how i would go about finding out the answer to that and then solving the problem i think that's really key um because tech is again i've said it already that tech is huge we, we don't expect you to know everything it's more about you know do we have confidence in your problem solving abilities to be able able to put you, you know, let you loose on a problem and you go away and solve it. Um, and then I think to sort of round that point off, then the interview will sort of wrap up. We'll, we'll, we'd like to give the candidates a chance to ask us questions um, and, and yeah, just going to you know, let them go into as much detail as they want. And um, I think from an earlier point you made, that is actually where as a candidate, you can make quite a big impact, isn't it? Where you start flipping yeah. the interview on, on the interviewer, interview, however you want to say it and start actually asking okay but how do you do this oh okay use that system or have you ever looked at this system or, or however you want to do it just ask those engaging questions where you go oh hang on this person actually has really thought about this exactly and i think as well like the technical questions are really good to ask but also the more this probably comes from would probably come from a more experienced candidate from from industry but asking questions around the business generally you know you know some 
how would you describe yourself? Are you a, are you a consultancy company or are you a SaaS company? Little things like that portray that they actually understand business as well as the data science, which is really rare and really, really cool to see. Um, for example, like we came out of a conversation with, um, again, this person got an offer was made to this person, myself and another data scientist interviewer. And, um, we, we came out, uh, we came out of the interview on the other side and we stayed on the call and we both just started laughing and said, yeah, we got an absolute grilling there. So the last <laughs> 20 minutes of the interview was us being, you know, we were being, we were being interviewed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that reverse psychology point, we were like, yeah, this, this, this person is really good and we'd like to work with them. I'm loving this. I think there's so much value here for anyone that wants to be a data scientist. Honestly, take these little tips. And it's a lot of these tips as well haven't necessarily been about your knowledge on the subject. It's just how you conduct yourself, what what you say and, and the questions you ask. To me is the biggest takeaway from from this chat we've had so far is just put a bit of effort into, you know, first impressions, which is always crucial. And I think you always hear it, but it's good to be hear it reiterated. And especially from someone that's done a load of interviews in this space, ask questions, not only about the technical, but around the business and show a genuine interest for working at that business, just not, not necessarily just in data science in general. Um, and then, you know, have you got any absolute do nots? Because I think, you, you know, you said you've got do's and do nots. Have you got anything where you're like, oh, God, please don't do that in an interview? Um, <laughs> so there are a lot, actually. Mm. So so one of the questions that we'll usually ask is, so, you know, tell, have, you, have you looked into this? Have you, have you looked into Geolect? Tell us a little bit about some of the research you've done about Geolect. I think everyone, you you need to do some research in the company yeah. you're applying to, to go You'd to. I hope so. I think one person, in fact, a few people actually have said, uh, no, I've got, no, I've not, bought, I've not done any research. I don't really know what you guys do. Can you explain it? And I'm like, well, you clearly don't really want this job, do you? Yeah. Uh, that's a massive no. Right. I think as well, so read, I think another point would be read the room. If you've made a couple of jokes and they haven't really landed, maybe stop <laughs> making those jokes. Right. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, it's quite, it's, it's quite a key one. And again, that has happened a few times. Uh, and, and generally just sort of enthusiasm, uh, you know, smile. Like, I think, again, it sort of comes back to these sort of points that are maybe a little bit controversial, because I think, you know, in the, in the ideal world, and this, 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 this is how the civil service does it, for example, you know, it's all sort of points-based and score-based, score you know, so that the perfect, so that on paper, the perfect candidate will make it through. I think the reality, so I've done, I've been interviewed a lot and I've done lots of interviews. And I think that in reality, in most businesses, it, a lot of it comes down to just the interviewer's gut feeling about someone. And I think yeah. that's where you have to, you know, I think you have to just be, your positivity goes a long way. Just be positive about, about the interview, be, you know, just be engaging. Don't be, I think, again, like another thing is you know, be, being nervous is, 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 is a problem and you can the thing is you can always tell when someone's nervous versus when someone doesn't really want to be there so i don't think that that's necessarily an issue and um, but i would say like the main thing for me is just try not to be negative be as positive as possible mm. um can't think of any more off the top of my head There's no no, no that's that's perfect i think that's that's a good overview of uh don't crack terrible jokes in the interview anyway um is there anything else you would like to cover, Adam, and, and maybe any other tips, or do you feel like you've—that's your, you know, your experience of interview, interviewing over the last year? Actually, I've just thought of another one. Don't insult the people that you're that are interviewing <laughs> you, or the or the founders of the company. 
Oh, that yeah. has happened. Have you before. had that? that yeah, it's gen- that's genuinely happened before. That is. I'm not. Oh I will not give the specific example because it no. will. Uh, I'll not give the specific example, but that has genuinely happened before. Wow. Um, which was quite quite bad. Um, oh, I mean, there's, I mean, actually, to be honest, the more I think about it, there's loads that pop up. Yeah. Uh, Settle sell your ability is a key is a key thing. So okay. again, I somebody I interviewed uh, not too long ago. You know, I asked they were they were coming out of their PhD, and I asked them about software development during their PhD. So, um, I know a lot of people who've done PhDs and they've gone they've published software alongside it. So they, you know, open source software journals and things like this. Um, so I asked them, you know, you've you said you've written a lot of software. Could you maybe explain you know, what sort of state that software's in? You know, have you used Git's tests or that sort of lovely stuff? And uh, this person then responded with, "Well, you know how you know what it's like in academia. Some of sometimes the software can be a little bit can be a little bit iffy." And I was like, "Okay, so are you telling me that the software that you write and if that if you came to work at GLEC would write is going to be iffy?" <laughs> you know it's, what? So little, just little things like that. Think about what you're saying before yeah. you say it, and think about how you're trying to sell sell things. Because you know you want to give your interviewer a warm, fuzzy feeling that if you bring this, that if this person comes into the company, they are going to do a great job from day one, and you don't, don't need to worry about them. I think worry is a very key thing, because again, in data science, like all of these processes, all of all of these you know, pieces of software, codes, methods, whatever you may call it, they're all sitting on a cloud somewhere running. Um, if anything, you know, if anything was to happen, if, if dodgy code manages to make it in, make it into a production environment, things can go down for the customer, which just it just ends up destroying things. And anyone who works in software will know of examples where your know, mistakes make it through the net. Ultimately, what you're trying to do is minimize those mistakes as much as possible. So if you are bringing someone in, you want to have that warm fuzzy feeling that you can trust them to not break anything. That's a really key thing. So don't in your interview say. Oh well, my software—the software I've written—is. I just sort of laugh about it and say, "Oh, my software is is, is crap." That's not a good thing to do. <laughs> I mean, the, on the basis, or, you know, this sounds like pretty clear things you'd expect people to know not to do. But the fact that it's actually happened in interviews, maybe we do need to address it. Yeah, I think, I think it's it's su- yeah, surprisingly common is what I would say. Uh, I think this profession as well. Maybe, I mean, you know, if you if you've been in a, if you've done a PhD, you've been in uni- a university for seven or eight years, probably. Mm. So there is probably, I mean, it's, it, there's a, there's there's definitely, and I've, I've had this issue for a while. I do think universities could do a lot more. Careers departments and universities could do a lot more to prepare candidates for interviews, prepare people for interviews. Sure. So you know, reaching out to people in industry, reaching out to you know people working in certain areas, and getting them into not necessarily practice interviews, but give talks and sort of explain how to how to go about these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think quite often what happens is you get your degree and then you're sort of thrown in the deep end. It's maybe yeah. not the worst thing in the world, but um, I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of those sort of those dodgy things do seem to do seem to crop up. Sure. Is there anything else you feel like you'd like to impart to the audience uh, around this experience of interviewing everyone for data science, or do you feel like You've given uh, probably the best advice you can. I've got a few. I made I made some notes beforehand. I've got a yeah, few. Yeah, sure. Points. Go for I it. Think, yeah. I think one thing is be honest, but not too honest. Uh, That's a good so one. I, 
That's a good I one. really like honesty. Yeah. I find it very, very entertaining whenever someone comes in. It's a, again, I've interviewed someone and they, they were leaving, a, they, were, they were working in a startup and they were leaving after about, after quite a short amount of time. And I asked, you know, why are, why are you leaving? And he was like, the phrase rats fleeing a sh- sinking ship comes to mind. And I cracked up because I thought that was quite funny and quite <laughs> honest. Um, and I got a lot of respect for this person for saying that. Yeah. However, uh, I think things like that would probably go down differently or worse with other interviewers. Because yes. again, like let's let's think about it. You're going to work in a, you know, you maybe maybe you're going to work in a startup after after you know, to use this person as an example, they're leaving a, a job after a few months and they're saying that they're feeling a sinking ship. You could then be the person the company that you're interviewing for could be a startup and you could be interviewing with one of the founders of that startup. They are not going to hire you if you're telling them that the moment things get rough, you're going to be out of there. Because mm. you know, sometimes startups, particularly at the beginning, that, that is going to happen. There is going to be rough periods. Um, you know, that's just the reality of it. So in that instance, I you know, say if, if I had been a different person, if Geolife had been in a different position, that would have been an immediate red flag and that person probably wouldn't have been made an offer. So I think that's a really key point to get across. Um like as I say, I will find that stuff very funny because I like honesty. And it's yeah. funny whenever people are honest, but to be really careful about what you do disclose, and uh, particularly around that question of why are you leaving your previous role? Because oftentimes there will be parallels drawn by the interviewer from you saying that you know the reasons that you're giving for why you're leaving that company with the new company, they'll think, well, actually, you know, this scenario that they've described is something that happened to us a few months ago. Would that have prompted this person to leave? Would they leave mm. really quickly? I think that you've got to be really careful about how you sell sell that move. Um, and then I guess the final point really would be around, this is again sort of a touchy one, particularly in this sort of space, but I think you have to be quite, I think you need to do your research beforehand uh, and be realistic around the sort of salary and benefits that you ask for. Because again, okay. that's going to be a question that you're going to get asked. You know, what are your salary expectations? Sure. Um, I think I think from my point of view, and you could completely tell I'm wrong, but if someone's done a PhD and it's in data science, which seems to be an industry which has got quite a, a demand for people to want to do it, but equally a lot of people that want to get into it, I feel like the salary could be quite quite a lot more than the average salary in the UK. Am I right in thinking that, or is it not? Yeah, the case? yeah, you do. Yeah, you do quite well. Okay, I think. But my point was more right when I said be realistic. I think. Yes, like salaries are going to be are going to be good. I think one of the dangers sometimes this doesn't have this has never happened at Geolec, but I know other people who work in startups where this is the case, where you know you will go in and you'll ask for a salary that's much higher than the company's um, the company's willing to pay, and you know maybe perhaps hoping that then you'll get into a bit of a negotiation and you'll end up somewhere in the middle. What can sometimes happen, and indeed has happened in the in these examples that I can think of. Is the company says, well, if this is their if this is their expectation now, um, and we do come to some sort of agreement, we're still going to be below their expectations, and their ambition is going to take them elsewhere quite soon. So I think that's something to be a little bit wary of. Um, figure out figure out what you can get away with, and don't don't push it too much because I think you can. I think companies may sometimes just look and say, well, actually, we're going to go elsewhere with with somebody who's maybe. Their ambition will keep them here for three, four, five yeah, years. Yeah, that's a great going point. For one, two years. 
I think then maybe also you have the opportunity once you're in the door, you know, you've set reasonable expectations and you're happy with the salary to start with or, or the packages to start with. And then once you're working super hard and you're making an impact at the company, you then have a really good leg to stand on and say, look, I've done this, I've done this in my, in your, you know, uh, yearly catch ups and then push for, for a bit more maybe than when you originally started. Is that right? I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure having you back on the show again. I think this has been incredibly valuable for anybody that's thinking of getting into data science. Um, so thank you again for your time. Not a problem. It's been good fun. Um, where can people find you and the, and the company you work at as well? Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn, just Adam Symington. Um, I'm sure my name will be uh, around. It's spelled as it is spelled in the same way. Um, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, my Twitter name is Python Maps. Uh, I post geospatial visualizations using Python, um, which is why it's called Python Maps. Geolect is on LinkedIn as well. Um, uh, Geolect is fine, just G-E-O-C. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for that. G-E-O-L-L-E-C-T. Brilliant. Thanks again for your time, Adam. Not a problem. Thank you.